Romans 8, 28 through 30 is our text today. Romans 8, 28 through 30. I'm sure the first verse you probably can quote from memory. We'll do 29 and 30 as well. And we know without a doubt, it says, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. We've been talking about the, victory, the victorious Christian life, about having victory in the Christian life, what, what was really meant for every believer. And we've talked about how to gain victory over sin and the world and the devil and flesh and self. But there is another area in life over which we must gain victory. And perhaps it is the key area it, is the, it, it has to do with the circumstances and the situations of life. Now we must know how or learn how to gain victory over circumstances. There are two kinds of circumstances. There are those circumstances that we can change. They need to be changed and so we do. With the power of the will, we change that which can be changed. And then there is a set of circumstances. These circumstances are those that we'd like to change but can't. We know we can't change them because we've tried. We wish it were different. And we've worked hard at changing the circumstances but, but to no avail and we've prayed for God to change the circumstances, and he hasn't. We must learn how to gain victory over these circumstances. Now, in a moment, I want to change one word in that statement, to gain victory over situations or circumstances. I want to change one word in that statement. It's the word over. Because most of us see our unfavorable circumstances as obstacles as barriers to our progress that stand in the way of where we want to go. And so we pray, Lord, if you'll just change the circumstance, I'll be different. If this were different, I'd be different. If you'd just blow this thing out of my life, blow it away, then I'd be a different and better person. If you'd just change the circumstance, we see them as obstacles. It's a tragic mistake to see our circumstances, unfavorable situations, as, as barriers. 
In the 49th chapter of the book of Isaiah, Israel has been released from captivity. And they're on their way to Jerusalem, on their way home, and they find mountains in their paths, barriers in their progress. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, a mountain is a picture or a symbol of a barrier or, a, or, a, or an obstacle in the, in the direction one is traveling. And God says in that 49th chapter, I will make my mountains a path. Now if you'll look at that a little while, you'll be struck by what God did not say. God did not say, I'm going to work a way around the mountains that are in your path. Nor did he say, I'm going to remove the barriers that stand in the way of your progress. I'm not going to enable you to go over the mount, over the barrier. He said, I'm going to make the barrier itself a path to your goal. And so we come to the word that we change. We change the word over to the word through or by so that we must gain victory through our circumstances. We must gain victory by our circumstances. For God is saying, that that mountain that stands in the road that seems to be a barrier to your progress is not a barrier to the desired end. It is a divinely appointed path or means to the desired end. Now I want you to imagine with me this morning a triangle of equal angles, equal sides. And if I had a blackboard up here, I'd draw a dot here and a dot here and a dot here. The triangle has three points. And so in your mind this morning, I want you to draw the, that triangle. I want you to make three dots here and here and here. If you're taking notes, just do it on the notepad there. And I wanna help you see something from this text by the use of this uh, picture. And up here at this top dot, I want you to write beside that dot the purpose of God the purpose of God. It is imperative that we understand what God's purpose is for our life. What is the goal to which, to which he leads us? Where is he leading us? What, is he, what goal is he leading us toward? What is the purpose of God for every believer? Well, the 29th verse answers that question. The purpose of God for every saved person is that he might be conformed to the image of his son so that God's purpose for every believer here this morning is that he might be conformed to the image of Christ, that he might be just like Jesus. Now you've heard that term image of God before. It's found in the book of Genesis and it says that God created man in his own image now I know it's, there's no simplistic definition for that term. As a matter of fact, books have been written on that one phrase alone. What does it mean, the image of God? But in a very simple and practical way, that means, the image of God means man's capacity, his ability to know and worship God. Man's capacity to know and to worship God is what makes man a man. Now I don't get excited when I hear or, uh, you know, that archeologists have uncovered the bones of quote prehistoric man that lived millions and millions and millions of years ago. I, that doesn't shake my faith at all. 
Because the thing that makes a man is not his ability to stand erect and to walk on two feet. That doesn't make a man. What makes a man is not his ability to walk on two feet and make sounds like a human being. What makes a man is his capacity to know and worship and fellowship with God. That's what separates him from an animal. You know, you've never seen your dog fold his paws and bow his head and, and thank God for the Gainsburgers, you know. I've never caught my dog doing that, you know. Lord, I just want to thank you for the hands down at Gaines that prepared this meal and my master who provided it, bless it to the nourishment of my body. I've never heard Freckles, the, the wonder dog, you know. I've never caught him in prayer, caught her in prayer, but I have heard my children thanking God for their, for their provisions. For, for, for the thing that makes a man a man that separates him is that he has a capacity to know God. That's what it means to be born, to be created in the image of God. Now when man sins, watch this, that image is marred. It's kind of like a burnout building. You've seen them that's just been gutted and everything is burned out, just a little bit of the wall is standing. And you know that a building is there even though the thing has been gutted and there's just a part of the wall standing. So that when man sinned against God, that image was distorted, but yet there is still that innate capacity to know God and there is still that innate desire to worship God. And the purpose of salvation is to restore that lost capacity. Man was meant to be an expression of the personality of God, an extension of the presence of God, an exhibition of the power of God, and that was marred in the fall, and yet Jesus is exactly that. So the purpose of God is to make me just like Jesus so that that lost and distorted image can be restored. And that's the goal of salvation history, as a matter of fact. First John says, Beloved, it doth not appear what we shall be, but when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, so that the goal of salvation history is that ultimately I will be just like Christ. But I'm convinced that God is not content to wait until I die to be like Jesus, but that he is bringing circumstances one by one, bit by bit, every day of my life in order that I might be conformed to his image in this life. So that God is not content to wait until the end for me to be like Christ. He wants me to become like Jesus in this life. That's the purpose of salvation. To this purpose, he just whittles off everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Now, let's move over to this dot right over here. And beside that dot, I want you to write the words, the predestination of God. Purpose of God here, predestination of God here. Now, I know that when I introduce that word, I open up a box of unanswerable questions. What is predestination? What does that mean? Now, I'm not gonna get into that because I don't know the answer to that question, but I want, in a very practical way, I wanna tell you what the predestination of God means. The predestination of God guarantees the purpose of God. The predestination of God guarantees the purpose of God. Now, you might have this question. 
Am I, how can I know? What if I don't become like Jesus? What if I'm not conformed to his image? That's impossible. A person who is a believer will become like Jesus because he has, he has been predestined to become like that and the predestination of God guarantees that purpose. Now, predestination means this. It means that a decision has been made in eternity past that cannot be altered or broken. So that if Paul says that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ, which means that God's purpose ultimately is that you become just like Jesus and God's predetermined decision that cannot be changed or broken is going to guarantee that you will. You will. Now I found a verse of scripture the other day in the sixth chapter of the book of John that kind of clarifies that. I won't just read it to you. Let me, let me read it you listen carefully. Sixth chapter, verse 37 says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. And for this is the will of God, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Now this is what Jesus was saying. He said, if you have come to Jesus for salvation, it's because God has chosen that, chosen you. He's predetermined that. It is an initiation in eternity past of God's grace. If you came to him, it was because God chose you and he will not cast you out for he is here to fulfill the purpose of God and that purpose is to raise you up on the last day and the predestination of God guarantees that purpose. All right, let's move over to the third dot and spend the rest of our time there because that's where we want to kind of move in and take a little time. By that dot, I want you to write the words, the providence of God. Now the providence of God is that which God, are you listening, is that which God uses to accomplish his purpose in everyday experience. Now the goal of salvation history is that we become like Jesus, but God wants that to happen in this life. So in God's plan and providence, he uses those things that will enable that to happen in everyday experience. Now the word providence is a combination of two words that means to see beforehand and to plan accordingly so that it is what God has planned beforehand on the basis of what he has seen. Now there is a difference between predestination and foreknowledge. I can illustrate it. You and I could be standing on the front of this church this morning, on the front steps of the church, and look down to this four-way stop sign here, and we could see that two cars were gonna collide before they collided. We could know beforehand that those cars were gonna collide. That's foreknowledge, but it's not predestination. 
because we didn't cause it to happen. Now, there are some things that God sees, that all, he sees all things beforehand. And what he sees beforehand, he begins to plan accordingly to what he has seen beforehand. And that's the providence of God. Now, you say, well, why doesn't God change those tragedies that come in life? Well, it is against his nature to change them and against yours. If he changed them, you would become a puppet and he would violate your freedom and there is nothing worse than to take away a person's freedom of choice. There's no violation that is, is, is any worse than that. But when he sees these things beforehand, he begins to work and plan accordingly so that he can use those things to accomplish his ultimate purpose. Now that's hard to grasp. When you take a jigsaw puzzle out and you pour the pieces out on the table, when you look at that thing, you think, well, that, that's impossible to put together. Every one of them looks alike, but every piece fits together to make the puzzle. The word is, when it says that all things work together or he causes to work together, it's the word mesh. It's what's happening inside my watch this morning as the mechanism of this watch meshes together and, and, and works. And I can take it off, lay it on my uh, dresser beside my bed as I sleep at night and it just keeps on meshing together and working together to mark the time. God does not lose or God does not miss uh, waste a single experience, and he doesn't waste a single moment. He takes everything and meshes it together to accomplish his divine purpose. That's the providence of God. Now, there's a great illustration of that in the, in the, in the, in the Bible. It's the story of Joseph. Now, you don't have to be told that story. I just need to remind you of it, that Joseph was hated by his brothers. They plotted to kill him and decided to sell him into captivity and he was carried down to Egypt. You remember that story? And down there he was betrayed. He went to prison in Egypt. But the long and short of the bottom line is that he became the prime, prime minister of, uh, of e in Egypt and saved the nation in a famine because he had this dream and, and told the Pharaoh, you need to put up some grain because we're gonna have a famine here. And the result was that his brothers, driven by the famine down in, in, in Israel, came down to Egypt and found their brother they hadn't seen for 30 years. And when, they, when he disclosed himself to them as their brother, they were frightened because they just knew he was going to kill them. This is what he said. Twice he said, you didn't do this, God did it. Now, is Joseph, does Joseph mean that God caused them to betray him or sell him into captivity? God didn't cause that. God didn't cause his brothers to be jealous. He's not the author of sin, can't even tempt anyone to sin. He didn't cause them to plot his murder, lie to his father. But what Joseph is saying is that God, seeing beforehand that that was going to happen, planned accordingly to make it work for good. And in the providence, he brought all of those experiences meshing together. And in the 50th chapter, he said, God meant this not for my ill, but for my good. What he meant was that God took the experience and meshed it together to accomplish his divine plan. The providence of God. Now that means two things. Watch carefully now. 
I'm trying to give you something that'll help you because every single one of us goes through this. First of all, it means that God is in the control, is in control of everything. Are you prepared this morning to say that God just winds this universe up like a clock and lets it run down? If you're not prepared to, to, to hold to that statement, to that belief, then you have to accept the other side of it, which says, or the other alternative, which is that God sustains what he has created. That means that God is in control of everything that goes on in this world. Do you believe that? If you believe that, it means that everything that happens to us must pass by God to get to us. It means that every circumstance that comes in life that we labor unfavorable has to have his permission to happen. It means that everything that happens in my life must first of all be filtered through the will of God. I mean, Job couldn't even be tempted without God's permission. And the apostle Paul had this thorn in the flesh and he prayed for its removal. But God seeing beforehand that he's gonna have this thorn in the flesh would not remove it, but allowed it to happen in order that he might experience grace. He made it work for good, for God is in the control of everything. Now you know what that means? When we complain and gripe about what happens to us in life, when we grumble and gripe about the things that happen to us, you know what we're doing? We're saying, God, you've mismanaged my life. Second thing it means is this, that God as sovereign uses every circumstance. Not only does he control it, but he uses it. You ever tried to drive a nail with a screwdriver or a pair of pliers? Now I've got a, over my toolbox, well it's, it's never there, but I've got, an, I've got a tool that, that's perfect for driving nails. It's called a hammer. Never can find it. I've driven more nails, my wife has testified that I've driven more nails in the wall to hang pictures with, with, the, with the end of a butcher knife than I have with a hammer. I mean, you never find your hammer. I can always find a screwdriver or a pair of pliers and I've, de I, I, I've decided why it's always, they're always there. It's because I never need them. You know, the things I need, I never have. So I've got this tool that's perfect for driving nails. It's called a hammer. Now watch this. God has a blueprint for your life and mine. He wants us to become just like Jesus and he has a tool that will enable that, that's the best kind of tool to accomplish that. It's called a circumstance. Now he will use the best tool he has available to accomplish his divine purpose even if that tool is a tragedy. He will use it to accomplish his divine plan because he's sovereign. Now that's exciting. It means that God makes servants out of our enemies. You believe that Joseph's brothers were his enemy? 
Now, say, it, say, say yes, but say it quietly. You might wake up your neighbors. You believe that Joseph's, Joseph's brothers were his enemies? Listen, if somebody's out to kill you, you can mark it down, he's your enemy. Are you prepared to say that what Joseph's brothers did was a sin? Now, watch this. Are you prepared to say that what Joseph's brothers did was a sin? Don't you think it's a sin to have jealousy, to plot murder, to lie to your father? Of course that's a sin. Now, are you prepared also to admit that had it not been for their sin, they would have starved down in Israel in the famine? As a matter of fact, they, wouldn't have, they would have perished had it not been for the events that happened just the way they happened. Now, what that means is this, that God in his sovereignty is able to make our sin into our salvation. Now, God is the only one who can do that. He is the only one who can take sin and make it our salvation. And the cross is the greatest example of that. There has never been a greater sin perpetrated on anybody greater than the cross, and yet God took that sin and made it our salvation. Because God is able to take our enemies and make them our servants. You know why God, oh, by the way, before I say that, let me say this. I, I found, much to my chagrin sometimes, I found that God is more interested in changing me than he is my circumstances. I've prayed, Lord, change this circumstance. I, I've, I've, I've learned that God is more concerned in changing my character than he is changing my circumstances. As a matter of fact, you read James 1, he talks about all those trials. He just goes right down the list on those trials. And then he says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. You have trials, pray what he says. Now, I'll tell you what, we pray when trials come, get us out of here. I mean, remove the trial. Help, get me out of the trial. James said, instead of praying that God will change the circumstance, you pray that God will enable you to react to it in the right way. Now, young people, wake up and hear this. You know why God has given you the parents he's given you? I've had, I've had kids tell me I got the sorriest parents in the whole wide world. I mean, how could God curse me with these parents? You know why God has given you the parents he's given you? Because he knows that if you react in his way, the right way, he'll build character in your life as a result of them. I have seen some of the sorriest parents. I mean, just scum. And I have seen kids come from those parents who are just dynamic and healthy and vibrant and, and, and great Christians. Why? Because those kids reacted toward their parents in a God kind of way and the result of the way they reacted to the trial was he built character in them. I was talking to a young woman one time who was telling me that how, how sorry her husband was. As we got along in the conversation, she, she was telling me that, that the things she hated in her father, she hated in her husband. You know, what, you know what I told her? I said, you know what God's saying to you? If you can't get along with your daddy, he'll just give you some other old boy that'll be just like him. <laughs> if you try to run from a circumstance, if you try to weasel out of a situation, you know what happens? You just cause God to have to develop a new set of circumstances just like the ones before because God has this plan for your life and he knows 
the perfect tool to accomplish that plan and he's gonna keep on bringing, using that tool to accomplish that plan. Doesn't mean that God caused it, it means that God uses it. Or he uses every circumstance. Now the big question is, and I'll close with this, how am I to react to circumstances? Well, the answer is 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. It says, in everything, give thanks. Now, he does not say, in everything, feel thankful. Doesn't have anything to do with feeling. It's not one of these goofy stuff like, I broke my leg, hallelujah, you know, that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's an act of the will that recognizes the sovereign lordship of Christ and is willing to say as an act of the will, Lord, I thank you for this because I know you're going to use this for the ultimate purpose. And it frees God up to do that. Jack Taylor said one day a man came into his office. He had been saved in one of Jack's services he was a member of another church across town. He'd heard Jack Taylor preach and got saved. And he came to see him a couple of weeks later. Still a member of that other church. Came in the office, called him pastor. Said, pastor. He said, my daughter, 17-year-old daughter, ran away from home and is living with a man who has a wife in Houston, Texas, and they're strung out on drugs. He said, I'm, I'm, I am just crushed. He said, how, how do I, what do I do? And Jack said, well, you know, he said, have you ever, have you, before we, before we get, you know, into anything else, let's start from the beginning. Have you given God thanks for this? He said, the guy looked at him like, you know, he was insulted and hurt. And so Jack began to try to tell him some of the pr principles that I've just taught you. That when you and I are willing to acknowledge the lordship and the sovereignty of God to use the circumstance and believe that he's going to use it to accomplish his purpose, we've got to start there. And he said they got out on their knees. He said, I heard that father give thanks. In the cert, not for it, but in it. He said two weeks later, that girl was sitting in his office repentant and was led to Christ. Now does that mean that something magical happens every time you say no? What it means is this, and I want you to hear this. What it means is that if God seeing beforehand that was going to happen, determined, made the decision that cannot be altered or broken, that he was going to use that, that, that circumstance to accomplish a purpose in, her, in, this, in this father's life, when he, was, when he got to the point where he could give thanks for it, then God didn't need that tool any longer. Make any sense? Does to me. Ron Dunn has a sermon on a tape called In Everything Give Thanks. And he said he was preaching in Sacramento, California and a young man came up to him and he said, do you have a tape entitled In Everything Give Thanks? And Ron Dunn said, yeah, I do. He said, the man turned to his wife real excitedly and he said, it's, this is him, this is him. And he said, let me tell you what's happened to me. He told Ron Dunn this story. He said, about six months prior, he said his mother and father and my uncle and aunt were on a trip 
and they had a car accident. And his father and his uncle and aunt were killed and his mother lived two weeks. And he said, when they were going through the wreckage of that, uh, of that car, they found a tape. And the tape didn't have anything on it except these words put in there in ink. In everything, give thanks. And those people were listening to that tape as they drove on their vacation. And he said, I didn't know, this boy is telling Rhonda, and he said, I didn't know who it was preaching that sermon until tonight. He said, I recognized your voice. And he said, I want you to know this story. He said, I took that tape to the hospital those two weeks, that first day to visit my mother, and I asked her about it. And she said, oh son, listen to the message of that tape. Listen to the message of that tape. And he said, for two weeks, every day, I listen to that sermon in everything, give thanks. And he said, two weeks, my mother died. And he said, I just want you to know the change that God has wrought in my heart and life as the result of in everything, give thanks. There is a purpose of God for your life. That purpose is that you become like Jesus. God has predestined you as a believer to that end and guarantees it. But God isn't gonna wait until you die for that to happen. And so knowing beforehand all that's happening will happen to you and would happen to you, he's just taking those like a hammer and he's working his way in your life. And so you can give thanks. You can do what I've done in the last few hours. Now before we have our invitation, I wanna give you some homework. I want you to go home today, I want you to take a piece of paper. Across the top of it, I want you to write, or on that piece of paper I want you to write, Every unfavorable circumstance that you can remember. Every unfavorable circumstance that you can remember in your life. Write it down. Then I want you to take a second piece of paper. I want you to write every unfavorable circumstance, situation, that you'd like to change right now, but you can't. You take those two pieces of paper. And for every, beside every one of them, you write, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. And really mean it. Let's pray together. Father, the circumstances of this very moment you've planned in eternity past, the things that have brought us to this day, you've seen beforehand worked accordingly. Even this message you knew before the foundation of the world would be preached to that one who needs it in this congregation. And we thank you for that assurance. And we believe, Father, that you're in control of this world, that you're filtering through your perfect will all those things that happen to us and bringing them like pieces in a puzzle to accomplish an unalterable and unbroken plan. 
And I pray this morning that you'll just give us the faith to say thank you, Lord. The faith of commitment and surrender to your will. And for this moment of invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Now we have three invitations. The first invitation is for you to come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, God's plan for you. God's will for you is that you be saved today. And all that's happened prior to today is for that reason. God's will for you is to, for you to join this church and all that's happened is up to this time is to, 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 to make that be a reality. God's plan for you is that you become like his son and all that's happened and happening now is that he be first. And we'll ask you to come for rededication, to join the church, to give your heart and life to Christ on the very first stanza. We're not going to stay long because if you're coming, you'll come right away while we stand. You come.